wrestling fans, are you ready? Yes! 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 For the thousands in attendance and the millions watching around the world, uh, let's get ready to rumble! Stupid idiot. Shut your mouth, you thong-wearing fatty. Party's over, Grandpa. Kane was there! Kane was there too! Yeah! No enhancement needed. This ain't Monday Night Raw! This fight's right! It's Wrestle Rant Radio. What's going on, guys? And welcome to Wrestle Rant Radio for September 13th. 2018. I am Graham Giusa Matthews. Hope you guys are doing well. As we do every single week right here on the show. Today we're breaking down this week in WWE and previewing the upcoming Hell in a Cell pay-per-view for this upcoming Sunday. Not the most exciting star-studded loaded card on paper. I'm still looking forward to it. Being the optimistic viewer I try to be despite what I say here on WrestleRant Radio. But it's WrestleRant Radio. Sometimes I get to let off some steam about the world of wrestling. But before we get started, of course, guys, I'm Graham G.S. Matthews. Check me out on the socials on Twitter at WrestleRant, on Facebook at Facebook.com, backslash Graham.GSM.Matthews, on YouTube at YouTube.com, backslash C, backslash Graham G.S. Matthews, and also on NextAirWrestling.net for my full written reviews of Raw, SmackDown, Main Event, NXT, Impact, Ring of Honor, Lucha Underground, the Mae Young Classic, and everything else in between. Speaking of NextAirWrestling.net, that's exactly where you guys can check out full episodes of WrestleRant Radio every single week. And not only on NextAirWrestling.net, but also on iTunes. Simply search up WrestleRant Radio on your Apple Podcast app, rate the show, review the show, subscribe to the show. You not only get every new episode on Thursdays instantly downloaded to your device, you also get every archived episode dating back almost exactly five years to October of 2013. Yes, we are quickly approaching the five-year milestone of WrestleRant Radio nearly five years in. A lot of great guests, awesome interviews, a lot of entertaining episodes, all at your fingertips on iTunes. So download the show today. I've also been told in the past... You can check out the show on various other platforms, basically wherever platforms or rather podcasts are available. WrestleRant Radio is likely there as well. So before we get into Raw, SmackDown, and 205 Live from this past week, I do want to talk very briefly about a rumor making the rounds this week in the wrestling world about two specific names potentially being WWE bound, that being Pentagon Jr. and Phoenix. Uh, two Lucha Underground talent, Impact talent, MLW talent, AAA talent, uh, wherever you're familiar with these two, if you're not familiar with them, then you got something going on there because these two are the among the very best athletes in the wrestling realm today, I would argue. I've been a big Pentagon fan since season one of Lucha Underground. The guy just screams badass. He's been booked very well by and large in that promotion, quote-unquote. It's not really a promotion because they're not really live tour. They tape multiple episodes at once for a single season. But he's been great on Lucha. He's the current reigning Lucha Underground champion. I don't know if he still is as of now. I mean, they taped season four back in the spring. Um, But he's been amazing to watch in that show as well as Phoenix. Pentagon, also a former Impact World Champion from earlier this year. Phoenix, also a current Impact star. They're an MLW. I believe they're the current MLW Tag Team Champions. But yeah, it's been rumored for the past week now um, that they could be headed to WWE. What does their future hold? Will they stick with the independent scene? Will they opt out of their Season 4 contract clauses with Lucha? Because I think everyone who signed on for Lucha Underground had signed on for seven seasons. Now, I think there's an opt-out clause, and maybe not all of the contracts, but most of them, where they can opt out of the show at any point during a single season, or at least during specific seasons. Like with Ricochet, it was Season 3, so therefore he's gone, uh, which is why he left and is now in NXT. We could see something similar with Pentagon and Phoenix. Now, the big difference between Ricochet and Pentagon Jr. and Phoenix, is that Ricochet, Prince Puma, what have you, has always screamed to me, superstar. I mean, not to say that Pentagon and Phoenix aren't superstars, but to me, he fit the WWE mold. Like, dating back two or three years, people were 
pitching Ricochet for NXT, like, back in 2015. <laughs> like, we're going back a while here. Like, years and years ago. Well before he joined at the onset of 2018. Uh, just, he looks like a star under the mask. He never really needed a mask in Lucha, and he was never the greatest talker. Not to say he's the most amazing mic worker now, but he's really improved immensely in that department. The guy just screams star every time he comes out. The current NXT North American champion. Big Ricochet fan. Pentagon, his whole gimmick is the mask. Now, I know that's the case with a lot of Lucha, um, talent, a lot of Mexican talent, but... With Pentagon, he's much more than just a typical Lucha Libre star. He's not your typical, like, oh, like Grand Metallic, he can do flips and dives and whatever, and he can't really speak English. Pentagon can't really speak that well of English either, from what I've seen and heard on Impact and in Lucha. But whatever he says in Spanish always sounds badass. The guy looks like a badass, he sounds like a badass, he wrestles like a badass, and he's proven time and time again in various matches whether it was with Ricochet, most recently Kenny Omega at All In, against Austin Aries and Impact, that he can work with a variety of talents. Whether it's hardcore wrestling, Sammy Callahan being a prime example, their hardcore street fight, whatever the hell it was called, their Mexican death match uh, on a recent episode of Impact was fantastic. Fan-fucking-tastic. And I don't, not even that I don't know, I know for a fact that he would not be able to get away with a lot of the stuff that he does in the indies currently in WWE or NXT. I know that for a fact. There's a lot of stuff you can get away with in NXT that you can't even get away with on the main roster. I don't think the hardcore wrestling style will translate too well to NXT. That's just not what the brand is about. Um, Personally, I love Pentagon Jr., and for years, a lot of my favorites, I've seen, I've wanted to have seen them in Impact, or rather in TNA. Rather in NXT is what I meant to say. I mean, I, I mean from Impact, from TNA. People like Bobby Roode and Samoa Joe and AJ Styles. I longed for years to see people like that in WWE, and here we are. They're successful on Raw. They're successful on SmackDown. They're successful in NXT. There was a time years ago when that was never even imaginable. And now AJ Styles is a 10-month reigning long WWE champion. Um, that being said, you can't have all your favorites in the same place. And I feel like WWE is doing this only to take away from other promotions. I know I've talked about this in the past, that WWE has a tendency to take talent from other promotions, not just to have them, but to keep them away from other competition, from other companies that they see as competition, places like New Japan, places like Ring of Honor and Impact, and you know, they'll have a good working relationship with these various companies, they'll mention them on TV every now and again, they'll mention never really Impact, but they have like the global wrestling network footage on the WWE Network, they'll mention Ring of Honor every now and again, stuff like that they'll do, but at the end of the day, if they're a big name, if they have a lot of buzz around them, then WWE wants them, they may not have any plans for them, But WWE wants that specific star, that certain superstar, just so another company can have them. And they might be paying them better, but that person may not necessarily be happier in WWE. Um, So, that being said, with Pentagon, I'm a big Pentagon fan, but I think part of the appeal of Pentagon Jr. is that, I don't know, I feel like he's just the anti-WWE star. I would love to see him get a shot in NXT or in the WWE with Phoenix, maybe. But I feel like he's better than a tag team guy. Another of the current tag team champions, I believe, for MLW the last time I checked. But I feel like they're better than that. I mean, we already had the Lucha House Party. We already have the fucking Gran Metallic, Lince Dorado, Kalisto trio. We don't really need another rumored trio. I know this was uh, making the rounds as well this past week with the rumor of a um, potential stable. With Rey Mysterio, Pentagon, and Phoenix. What, just because they're all fucking Lucha Libre stars? Like, that's stupid. I would love to see Rey Mysterio mix it up with Kalisto and all those other guys. Don't get me wrong. But I feel like just to... I don't know. Just to have Phoenix and Pentagon and Rey Mysterio in a stable for the sake of having three Mexican guys together, even though we technically already really have that, to me is a waste. They should not bring back Rey Mysterio for a silly stable like that. They should not bring in Pentagon and Phoenix, more importantly, for a stable such as that. So I would love to see them thrive. I feel like there's no current place for them in NXT. I mean, they're not coming over tomorrow anyway. I think, like I said, with Lucha, they have to wait until Season 4 ends. I know they're currently weighing their options. They may not sign anywhere until they know for a fact where they want to go. I think ultimately they'll re-sign either with 
Lucha or stick with MLW or whatever. Um, both guys have been pretty big stars in Lucha. I mean, so is Ricochet, but he wanted to move on and do bigger and better things. But there were also a lot of people that left the show that just weren't happy there. They weren't big stars. They took off. I think Pentagon and Phoenix could stick around in Lucha. I would love to see them stick around in Lucha. That's where I initially fell in love with them and became fans of them. Not fell in love with them, but fell in love with their work, I should say. <laughs> I don't want to profess my love for these two here on the show. That might become a very different show altogether very quickly. Um, but with Pentagon and Phoenix, I don't know. I would just like to see them stay where they're at. And I don't say that for a lot of people. I know I sound like a WWE homer more often than not. I talk about WWE more often than not here on the show. That's usually all that I ever talk about here on WrestleRant Radio, with the exception of like All In and stuff like that. Um, but there's certain people I feel like would not fit the WWE mold. I feel like Jay Lethal could be a great get for NXT at some point. Pentagon would be a great get for the brand, but I don't feel like he would thrive there. I'm not sure if he would be happy there, especially since he doesn't speak English. And I can't see him getting paired off with a fucking translator. Unless it's Vampiro, they really can't put him with a translator. Uh, or a mouthpiece or whatever. So again, I think he'll stay where he's at. And like I said, I think with the Lucha Underground deal, um, I believe he can opt out out of Season 4. And they're currently, if I'm not mistaken, in Week 14 of like 40, I think, episodes of Season 4 of Lucha Underground. I believe they tape 40 episodes... We're not even halfway there. And the show came back in like May. So, or May or was it? I don't remember. I think it was May um, or around that time. Anyway, so it's going to be a while. It might not be until early, early 2019, like January, February, March. So it's going to be a while anyway. But I think at the end of the day, they would be wise to just stay right where they are. They might be paid better in WWE. Um, it's almost guaranteed they'd be paid better in NXT or WWE. I don't think they would be used better, and I'm not really sure that's where they would find success. At least not right now. So, until I'm proven otherwise, and we see someone, the stature of Pentagon, get over in the WWE bubble, then I would recommend that he stay right where he is, and Phoenix as well. Before we move on to Raw, two more quick things I do want to mention. From the video game world, uh, WWE 2K19, they announced the entire roster over the past week. Looks pretty promising on paper. I don't really play the games as much as I used to. I really don't. I think I played 2K18 more than I've played any other game since 2K14. Or even 13. It might have been... I think it was 14, actually. Um, it's been a while. But, um, yeah, I mean, the games are always enjoyable. I always like playing them, but... I'm not really as hardcore of a gamer as I used to be. That being said, I'll still get the games, and I like to see the roster when it comes out. A few notable exceptions... From this year's roster. Now, granted, we have the fucking Brutus the Barber Beefcake. We have Rikishi. We have a few random-ass people that really don't need to be in the game. Um, yet, we don't have the current NXT champion, Tommaso Ciampa. Which is a pretty big exclusion. Considering he's the current NXT champ. And also because... I mean, I know he was probably hurt when they were making the game. But come on. I mean, he was still a part of the NXT roster. He got hurt in May of 2017. They start making the roster for these games like at the onset of 2018. He even came back at TakeOver, um, what was it? The uh, Philly show, the one that I was at in January. So I don't know why he's not in the game. Maybe he wanted not to be. I know that was the rumor with Andrade last year. That That's why he wasn't in the game was because he didn't want to be in the game. But Tommaso, I find it very hard to believe that would be the case. Unless they're really going to great lengths to get people to hate Tommaso Ciampa, I thought that was very strange. To not include him in the game. Nikki Cross too. Nikki Cross has been a staple of NXT TV. Of that women's division for the past two years. And she's also not in the game. And it's weird because she was in last year's game too. A lot like Ciampa. So it's not like a new person they overlooked. Or didn't make the cut because they debuted too late. No, she's been in NXT now for like two or three years. So I thought that was really weird. Um, the rest of Sanity I think is in the game. But not her. And she's been contending for the NXT Women's Championship. It's not like she was just the manager for Sanity. The Brian Kendrick, a very weird exception. He was in last year's game, not this year's. Again, I know he was hurt for the better part of 2018, but still, I mean, he's been a, a constant of that Cruiserweight division since its uh, relaunch in late 2016. So I thought that was a little strange as well. And lastly, Mike Kanellis, not really, people aren't really getting upset over the fact that he was excluded. I think, you know, they have like 70 people on the current roster. They got everyone in there with the exception of Kendrick and Mike Kanellis. That's a pretty... That's a, that's a pretty good ratio, um, but it does suck. I mean, the guy's happy to be in WWE. He's not really content with where he's at. The guy's never on TV. 
he hasn't wrestled a match on Raw since he got moved to Raw. He never really wrestled many matches on SmackDown, so I can't really blame the video game company for not including him. But, you know, the guy's still a, you know, relatively notable name. Kind of. Not really, but it would have been cool to see him in the game with Maria, but I guess not. And lastly, before we move on here, one last real big note. Joining the Raw commentary team full-time is none other than Renee Young. I love the move. I really do. Um, I thought she's been, I think she's been great the last couple of appearances she's made on commentary this year. And, I mean, I never really hated Jonathan Coachman personally. I always thought he was fine. He made a lot of mistakes. I mean, I don't know. I feel like I'm hypocritical because I was never really a big fan of Booker T. He just sounded stupid. And I guess Coachman did too. But, I don't know, I felt like Coachman carried himself well. He's been on the commentary team now for, what, eight, nine months, and he really has not gotten the hang of it yet, and people have been muting their TVs and shitting on him every chance they get. So, I don't know, I guess it might have been for the better that they moved him out and put him on the kickoff shows, which is, you know, what he's best at. That's what he's known for. I know he did a commentary about a decade ago. I don't remember how he did then. Um, But he's used to doing the panel stuff. That's what he did at ESPN for such a long time, so I feel like he would thrive at doing the panelist, uh, being a panelist, the, um, the host, rather, for the kickoff shows for the pay-per-views, so that's where he is, Renee Young on Raw now, becoming the first full-time woman commentator in WWE history, so that's huge, really, really cool to hear about that, and um, yeah, I thought she did a good job on Monday, she's not amazing, she's not the second coming of fucking Gordon Soley, but, you know, I think she brings something fresh and new to the commentary team, maybe months down the road, people will start crapping all over her commentary skills, but I feel like Renee Young is likable enough that's not going to happen. Like, even when she first started doing commentary about four or five years ago, she really wasn't that good, but people never, like, shat on her commentary skills because she still comes across like she's trying and she's likable and she's entertaining, but she really had nothing to offer, really nothing to add to the commentary team. So, again, um, I think that's a great get for the Raw booth and hopefully it enhances my enjoyment of the show going forward. Unfortunately, it didn't for this week. I thought this week's Raw was pretty dull. Out of like 11 or 12 segments, this show had maybe one or two decent things to offer, which is never good. We kicked off the show with Braun Strowman, Dolph Ziggler, and Drew McIntyre again for the second straight week. The Shield, predictably enough, came out to brawl with them and force them to flee from the ring. Um, Surrounding the ring when Strowman, Ziggler, and McIntyre were in there, were all the um, undercard heels that helped them out in their assault of the Shield at the end of last week's show. So we have, like, Kevin Owens out there, the Authors of Pain, Elias, Jinder Mahal, Samil, Sunil Singh, whatever his name is, the other Singh that's not hurt, um, and the rest of the losers on Raw, like Mike Kanellis we had out there, fucking Mojo Raleigh. They all get their asses handed to them with ease by the Shield. So again, if you want to destroy Mike Kanellis, if you want to destroy... Not even really Drew Gulak. I'm not even really sure why he's out there. If you want to destroy Mojo Raleigh, fine, whatever. But to involve Kevin Owens in this bullshit, to involve the authors of pain in this bullshit, when you're trying to rebuild these guys back up, it makes no sense. How are we supposed to take certain stars seriously later on in the show when they're shown getting their asses handed to them at the beginning of the night? It's like short-sighted vision here. I'm not sure if they... Look at other parts of the script when they're writing out certain segments of the show. Like, I'm not exactly sure how this works. But I can't imagine the same person producing the AOP match where they squash two scrubs named Ronnie Ace and Nathan Bradley are the same two writers that were involved in the writing of the opening segment where AOP got fucking squashed. Not squashed, but, like, outnumbered by three guys, even though they had, like, a 100-3 to advantage or whatever it was. Not You know, I'm exaggerating, obviously, but... Still, they were made to look fairly weak, so why would people buy into them as a threat later on in the show when they're decimating two scrubs? That's my question. So I didn't really like it for that reason. The whole shield versus the world thing, I just... I can't get into it. We've seen it before. I'm not a huge fan of it. Um, Strowman being involved in the whole nonsense is even worse because the guy should not be a heel. He shouldn't be a heel to begin with. He was over as a babyface. People loved him organically, genuinely loved him. Why would you turn him? I mean, I talked about this and the stupidity behind it a few weeks ago, but I thought it was worth mentioning again and bringing it back up just because it, it just it's scary. It's really frightening when he comes out and he gets no reaction. Like, before he would become... He, he would come out and get this giant ovation and people would go crazy for him and he was organically over and, again, he was a star. He was the closest thing that we had, and people might get upset at me for saying this, but the closest thing we had to a Stone Cold Steve Austin on Raw. And they fucking turned him heel. 
to be a part of this heel authority figure bullshit. So, I'm not a huge fan of it so far. They What they did with Braun later on in the show, I was also not a fan of, but I'll talk about that momentarily. So, after the show opening brawl, we had Nikki Bella taking on Ruby Riot one-on-one. Uh, a much better performance from Nikki than what we saw last week. It really wasn't her fault. I talked about it here on the show last week. It really wasn't Brie and Nikki's fault, or really Nikki's fault. It was more so Brie's fault. Brie looked awful. She looked abysmal. Now, she had a match on SmackDown this week, too. Didn't look nearly as bad, but then again, the match wasn't nearly as long. It was like a two-minute fucking comedy segment. It was never really even meant to be a match with her and Maurice. So, Brie, I don't know what's going on with her. Maybe it's ring rust or just the fact that she hasn't wrestled in two years. Like a full-length match, not including the Women's Rumble. I'm not sure, but Nikki looked a lot better. I thought this was a decent match. Nothing too exciting. Ruby Riot really just being built up to lose to the Bellas, which I'm not a fan of. Because um, once the Bellas leave ine- in- inevitably, what does that mean for the Riot Squad? What does that mean for Sasha Banks and, and Bailey, who weren't on the show? Now, you can't add the women wrestle on every episode of Raw. Like, Dana Brooke was not on this week's Raw, despite the fact they've been doing something with her for the last couple of weeks. Which I'm fine they didn't feature her because I don't really care about her anyway. And the whole storyline with her breaking off from Titus Worldwide. Who gives a shit? Um, but with Banks and Bailey, they've been constants of this program for weeks, months, years even. So to not even to not even showcase them on the show is fairly strange. Not even like a backstage segment. Like Naomi and Asuka, what they did on SmackDown was pretty dumb. The whole like, oh, teriyaki, let's make fun of Asuka's accent. We can't understand what she's saying. All that stupid bullshit. Um, yeah, at least they got them on the show to explain the fallout from last week when Naomi saved Asuka. That's all you need. That's all you need. On a three-hour show, I would hope they would they would have enough time to get Bailey and Banks in there in a pre-taped promo or a backstage segment, something along those lines to just have them remain relevant, to completely exclude them all together and not even mention them on Raw this week, I thought was strange. Nitpicking, not a major offense, but strange. So anyway, Nikki Bella beats Ruby Riot. It's pretty clear at this point she is being groomed for that Raw Women's Championship match at Evolution with her and Ronda Rousey. It is what it is. I, I really have nothing else to say about that. I talked about it a week or two ago. I'm not a big fan of the match. I don't think it'll be very good. Again, they could get me interested between now and then with the promos and maybe some brawls and some video packages. But as of right now, I really could not care less. I already talked about the AOP squash. Drake Maverick was not supporting, was not sporting the um, vest this week. Only a uh, tank top, but he still had the AOP pants on, which was weird. So just have him come out in a suit. Paul Ellering came out in a suit. Drake Maverick comes out in a suit every week for 205 Live anyway. What's Why not have him come out in a suit for AOP? I don't understand what, what the big deal is. So having him come out with the vest and the, um, the wife beater and the, um, the army pants and all this other stuff, the camo pants... Eh, I don't know, just feels forced to me. It doesn't feel genuine. I do like him as the mouthpiece. I mean, I've talked about this before. Why just why get rid of Paul Ellering when you can use Drake why you know, why get rid of him when you can use him? When he's still willing to travel. Why use Drake Maverick when you can still use Paul Ellering? That's my question. But pretty evident they won't be bringing back Paul Ellering, so I just might as well make the most of what they have with Drake Maverick. And it's better than nothing. Because on their own, AOP, they can't talk for shit. That was, you know, again, pretty apparent a few weeks ago when they had that back and forth with Titus Worldwide, which was awful. Absolutely terrible. So, I like the I like the move to make him the mouthpiece for the team, for AOP. Maybe it'll grow on me in time. It kind of did this week. I like it because it makes them more of a force to be reckoned with. But like I said earlier, if they really want fans to take these guys seriously, then they should not be booked to look like fucking losers. It's... It's ass-backwards booking. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. If they wonder why, oh, why aren't AOP getting over? They're just not over. Well, it's because you're fucking having them get their asses kicked at the start of the show, even when the odds are in their favor. That's why they're not over. We've seen them squash jobbers before, been there, done that, I'm ready to move on. I don't know who they can feud with. Matt Hardy and Bray Wyatt are out of the picture right now. Matt Hardy's injured. I don't know what they're doing with Bray Wyatt. Um, and that's really about it. Heath Slater and Rhino, been there, done that. Titus Worldwide, been there, done that. Um, what other babyface teams do we have? The B-team, I guess, maybe? B-team, Brazongo. I think Brazongo, uh, Fandango's hurt, so they can't face Brazongo. Um, that, that's really about it. They really don't have any more babyface tag teams, except for Ambrose and Rollins, and they're not going to be beating them anytime soon. So, I don't know where you go from here with AOP, but 
hopefully they are built back up to relevance and aren't written off as an as an act that's not over. Like a la the Ascension, the Ascension, they were never really over in NXT to begin with. They are they were NXT Tag Team Champions for about you know um, a solid year or two for a solid year, not a year or two, a, a solid year. Um, they were never really that good to begin with, though. That's a different story. AOP had a great run in the next day. For them to come up only to get wasted, to me, is is disheartening. For anyone um, that are that's hoping their favorites get called up from NXT and they get used, right? AOP mean nothing right now. They're in the process of getting rehabbed, but they currently mean nothing. Sanity, any buzz they had from coming up from NXT, gone. Zero buzz. Zero momentum. Get beat every single fucking week like a bunch of losers. They are hardly a threat to anyone at this point. They are the SmackDown version of the fucking Ascension. That's not good. Triple H came out with the highlight of the night, which, again, not a great reflection of the current roster, but they, he came out to address the Undertaker ahead of their encounter at WWE Super Showdown in early October, pretty much responding to what Undertaker had to say on last week's Raw. Um, nothing, nothing too blow away here, but I thought it was a really good promo, great delivery, strong mic work from Triple H, and, uh, doing an effective job of getting people to look forward to their match that really did not need to happen in the first place, but we're getting it, and they're doing a good job of building up that bout and making it feel meaningful, even though there's nothing on the line. So, Undertaker will be on Raw next week, this time advertised to appear and respond to Triple H. They did the same thing in the build-up to their match at WrestleMania 27, I think. They encountered each other once when they first set up the match. And then every week from that point forward, Triple H was on Raw, Taker was on Raw. Like, not on the same night, but like different weeks. Triple H was on SmackDown, Undertaker was on SmackDown. They found different ways to hype up the match without having them interact until like the final week before the pay-per-view. That's probably what they're going to be doing here as well. Saving the final confrontation for the Raw before Super Showdown, which, I mean, it could be good, it may not be good. After Greatest Royal Rumble ended up meaning nothing from a storyline standpoint, just completely pointless, I don't have high hopes for Super Showdown. Um, but getting back to Raw, Ziggler and McIntyre faced off with the B team in a rematch of the Raw Tag Team titles from last week's show. Um, another competitive contest, which surprised me. The B-team really should not be going 50-50 with Ziggler and McIntyre. The match was okay. Um, if anything else, if nothing else, it kept the belts on Ziggler and McIntyre and, you know, gave the B-team their rematch, and now it's time to move on. They were a comedic duo. They were never destined to hold the championships for more than a couple of months. So I'm glad that's over with and we can finally move on um, with Ziggler and McIntyre as the Raw Tag Team Champions. Afterward, they were attacked by Dean Ambrose and Dolph Ziggler, making it official for Hell in a Cell. Dean Ambrose and Seth Rollins versus Ziggler and McIntyre for the Raw Tag Team titles, which does indeed mean that the Intercontinental Championship will not be defended on the pay-per-view. I'm really hoping, I mean, I love the Shield and all, I love the fact that they're back, but, I mean, the fact that Rollins is vying for the Raw Tag Team titles and will not be defending the championship on the pay-per-view just makes that title feel completely meaningless. I mean, you look at SmackDown right now. We have the United States Champion Shinsuke Nakamura. He's rarely ever on SmackDown. I think this Tuesday show when he faced off with Jeff Hardy was his first in-person appearance on the show since, like, SummerSlam when he beat Jeff Hardy to retain the title. And ever since, the focus has been on Hardy and Orton. Nakamura has barely been on the show, which ordinarily would not be a good thing. But because he's the United States Champion, it makes him mean less. It makes the championship mean less. And now he's not even on the pay-per-view card for Sunday. But Orton and Hardy are, which is fine. I'm looking forward to their match. But WWE has an issue right now with the mid-card championships. And it's a, it's, it's a you know, an ebb and flow thing. It's like it comes and it goes. Sometimes the championships mean a lot. You'll have the Intercontinental Championship main event Extreme Rules. And then the next month or the month after that, that's not even defended on the show at all. Now, it would be a completely different story if Rollins was not even on the show altogether. A lot like Nakamura. But it is strange that they are well aware that Rollins would not be defending the championship of the pay-per-view. You would think in that respect, in, the, in that case, they would make an effort to get the U.S. championship defended. But I, I guess not, unless they make a match at the last minute that I'm not aware of. And they make Nakamura versus freaking, I don't even know, Ty Dillinger, R-Truth. Who cares? Like, official for the pay-per-view at the last second, then I don't see Nakamura being a part of the show. Um, but that match is set to take place on Sunday. I'll save my Hell in a Cell predictions for the end of the episode. 
Um, also on Raw, we had Kevin Owens come out to attack Tyler Breeze before their scheduled match. I love aggressive Owens, but I feel like we get aggressive Owens every now and again before they just go right back to booking him like a coward. So why even bother getting invested in aggressive Kevin Owens if they won't be consistent with it? If they won't go all the way with it and make him the badass heel that he really should have been when he first got called up, which he was for a while, but then they lost their way with him and then they put him in feuds that people didn't care about and all this other stuff. I mean, I applaud him. He makes the most of whatever he's a part of. But at the same time with Kevin Owens, um, just this haphazard booking and just uh, the start and stop pushes, it's not doing his credibility any favors. Like, Kevin Owens would be one of the rare people that could come out and get a good reaction every week, regardless of whether he was fighting, you know, Kalisto or whether he was fighting Roman Reigns. Like, people always react to Kevin Owens, but in recent weeks, people just don't care because he quit Raw and came back the very next week. Now, he explained here on this show that the reason why he quit was because of Bobby Lashley and the fact that Bobby Lashley injured his best friend. And because Sami Zayn has been out of the picture for so long, that's why Kevin Owens has been down on his luck, which is awful logic because booking 101 here would dictate that it was Braun Strowman's fault. I mean, Strowman, after all, basically buried Kevin Owens at every single turn whether it was Extreme Rolls, which technically Owens won at, but he was put through a commentary table off the top of the steel cage. So that happened. Um, but that happened. We had the SummerSlam squash, which went, went all of, what, two, three, four minutes, where Owens was decisive, decisively defeated by Braun Strowman. So Kevin Owens' storyline really should have quit because of Braun, but because Braun's a babyface, or rather because he's a heel, and he went from babyface to heel, we can't blame it on Braun. And also, Braun was helped out by Kevin Owens on last week's show, and this week, technically, too, when he came to the aid of the other heels and attacking the Shield, which, again, is awful logic. Like, you can... Getting Owens involved anyway is a bad idea, but to have Kevin Owens out there and helping, technically, the guy that really made his life miserable for months on end is terrible, terrible storytelling. And I know he said here, oh, I wasn't doing it for anyone else but me. Like, that's just an op. I, I appreciate the attempt to explain the logic. I really do. But it's terrible storytelling, and they expect viewers to be dumb enough to buy that bullcrap. So I thought that was pretty bad. I love Kevin Owens, but I really cannot be too optimistic about the Kevin Owens-Bobby Lashley feud. Because been there, done that with Sami Zayn and Bobby Lashley. It was bad the first time. What would make people think that it would be any better this time? Now, I will say this. Bobby Lashley and Leo Rush is a pairing I can get behind. Um, they teased that pairing in a, in a backstage segment or a pre-taped video, whatever. Bobby Lashley was at the gym before being confronted by Leo Rush. He started going off about how he can motivate Bobby Lashley, blah, blah, blah. Bobby, obviously in the mode at the gym, ignored all of what he said and then asked him to repeat what he said. Rush said it again. And then Bobby did it as my man shtick and smacked him on the back and I think either you know, ushered him off or said that he would give him a chance. I'm not sure. But obviously, WWE wouldn't do that unless they had plans to hopefully pair them together at some point. And I like the idea of the pairing. It could end up backfiring. Bobby Lashley's been involved in a lot of bad creative since he came back, unfortunately, to no fault of his own. Um, but at the same time, I think Bobby does need a mouthpiece. If he's going to be a babyface, then he needs a mouthpiece. I think he can talk on the mic as a heel, but he had great promos and impact because they don't really write stuff out for him. At least I assume it's a completely different beast than what we see in WWE. So even if he did go heel, I'm not sure his promos would be any better. When he's being scripted stuff out and it comes across as just bad and not funny and not entertaining and just feels forced. So having Leo Rush as his manager might just work. If they're a heel combo, which I hope they are, I'm not getting the feeling they will be just because the whole Bobby Kevin Owens thing is happening. And Kevin Owens is obviously a heel, so I'm not sure they'll be turning Bobby anytime soon. But in the long run, that's where they should be headed. I think a Bobby Lashley-Leo Rush um, pairing could really work. I think Leo Rush has been a relevation for 205 Live in recent months. He's a great athlete. The guy has also proven he can talk, which I didn't know he could do. Um, you know, we always knew that he could wrestle dating back to his indie days and Ring of Honor days, but it wasn't really you know, on display, his mic skills weren't really exposed for being as good as they are until he arrived in WWE, specifically NXT, because he was never really given the chance to talk in NXT, or really until he arrived on 205 Live, I should say, not NXT. 
So I like the idea of a Bobby Lashley, Leo Rush pairing. We'll see where it goes. Um, I hope they don't mess it up, but it is a step in the right direction for Bobby Lashley. And if nothing else, it gets Leo Rush on TV and gets him more exposure. So that's a win in and of itself. We had Bobby Roode and Chad Gable team up yet again against the Ascension, emerge victorious. This time, um, when Chad Gable tagged in Bobby Roode, Bobby Roode was not a, or the other way around, Chad Gable tagged in unbeknownst to Bobby Roode. So Bobby Roode did not see it coming, unlike last week where they seemed to be on the same page and Roode was happy for his success, all this other stuff. Well, we're two weeks in and they're already teasing tension. So I wrote an article this past week that I wrote before Raw, but was published after Raw on Tuesday. The Gable and Rude potential, a pairing had potential. I think they can go far as a tag team. They worked well off each other last week, especially personality-wise. They can go far as a tandem, especially right now when Raw really does not have many tag teams, um, especially on the babyface side. They really don't. So I, I think this can work. We'll see. But I would love to see Rude and Gable, you know, go for a little longer before they have Rude go heel on Gable. Because it was pretty, pretty obvious, you know, based off what we saw here. That's the direction they're going, and Bobby Roode's going to get jealous of Gable, beat him up one week, and go heel, finally. I mean, whatever it takes to get this guy to go heel, I'm up for it, because Bobby Roode, needless to say, never should have been a babyface to begin with on the main roster. Whoever thought that was a good idea was obviously brain dead, because he was a heel the entire time he was in NXT, and then the main roster had to go in and ruin it by bringing him up as a babyface. Now, we know he's got the great entrance song, but by this point, you could hear crickets Every time he comes out, people aren't singing with the people, just don't care. People do not care about Bobby Roode. He has not been this irrelevant in years, probably since his early TNA days, which is saying something. So I would hope that at some point he will rebound, he will bounce back as a heel. Um, but so far, I mean, again, I like the Gable pairing. I mentioned that earlier, and I mentioned that last week. But the end game should be turn him heel. I mean, I, a Roode Gable tag team title run sounds fun and all, but. Rude really should be a heel. At a time when this show desperately needs credible heels, he would be the saving grace. Now, I don't think they would book him correctly. They've already kind of botched his booking on the main roster. But with Kevin Owens being booked like a loser, Jinder Mahal is basically non-existent at this point. Um, Baron Corbin's the authority figure, and he's boring. And that's really about it. Elias is a glorified mid-card act. And I love Elias, but he's never going to get above a certain level, let's face it. I think Bobby Rude can be the heel this show needs. That can be built around. Maybe not Universal Champion, but I think Bobby Roode can go far. I know the guy's in his 40s, but he has a lot of untapped potential in WWE, especially as a heel. So hopefully they do turn him sooner rather than later, and if not, and they milk it out a little longer, um, hopefully we can enjoy some more Roode and Gable together in the, in the, in the, in the um, for the time being, in the meantime. Tag team action also on the show with Ronda Rousey and Natalya teaming up to take on Alexa Bliss and Mickey James. Ahead of Rousey and Alexa Bliss Part 2 at Hell in the Cell on Sunday. Rousey and Italia went over. Um, fine match. Really was not the most smooth encounter. It was not the smoothest encounter of all time. But I thought all four women played their roles well. It was supposed to be Rousey and Italia versus Bliss and Alicia Fox. Um, I'm not sure why the change was made. They made it official before Raw went live. They never mentioned Alicia might be hurt. I'm not sure. Mickey is the better worker. So I'm glad the match benefited from her involved. Um, but yeah, I thought it was a good match. Rousey maintains momentum. Alexa Bliss kicked her in the midsection afterward. Really did nothing to convince me that Alexa Bliss has any shot in hell, has any snowball's chance in hell of beating Ronda Rousey on Sunday at the pay-per-view. Um, they've really done a very poor job of making people think that Alexa Bliss can realistically beat Ronda Rousey. They have done a terrible job of that, so... This was like their last-ditch effort to get heat on Alexa. Well, it didn't work. She's a great heel and all, but people will boo her or cheer or whatever. People do care about Alexa. But to think that she has a chance of actually beating Ronda is comical. So I I see what they did there, and it's semi-appreciated, but they really should have started the process and building Bliss back up weeks ago. I'm glad they're keeping Ronda dominant and unstoppable, as she should be. But it should not be coming at the extent of Alexa Bliss every single week. It's a lot like the Kevin Owens-Braun Strowman thing, where I was glad they were allowing Braun to maintain momentum as a babyface, but it was coming at the expense of Owens every single week. The guy looked like a loser after a while. And the same thing has been happening to Alexa Bliss. And as soon as she loses on Sunday, she'll be right in the back of the line, which is where she belongs right now because she's been in the Raw Women's Championship picture since she arrived on Raw last year. Before that, she was constantly in the SmackDown Women's Championship picture. 
it's time to move on from Bliss as a championship player right now and focus on other women like Banks, like Bailey, like Amber Moon, like the Riot Squad, like Mickey James. Uh, give other women a chance to shine on this show. Mick Foley returned to confront Elias during his uh, impromptu concert, um, not only to honor the anniversary of the time that he was tossed off the top of the Hell in a Cell structure at the hands of The Undertaker, which was yeah 20 years ago, which is crazy to think about. I wasn't even watching wrestling. I was barely a freaking toddler at that point. I was three years old when it happened. Obviously not a fan of that point in time, but it is crazy to think it's been 20 years since that first occurred. Um... But yeah, so Mick Foley came out to talk about that. But not only that, but also announced that at Hell in the Cell this Sunday, he's been appointed to be the special guest referee for the main event for the Universal Championship between Braun Strowman and Roman Reigns. Why? Because fuck you, that's why. Because there's no logic. There's no logic. I love Mick Foley, but I can't discriminate here. When something doesn't make sense, you got to call a spade a spade. It doesn't make sense. It makes no sense. Just because I like Mick Foley doesn't make this any better of a decision. Like, I think WWE realized that people currently do not care about Braun and Roman at the pay-per-view. They would have had they not turned Braun heel and tried to force him into getting booed and all this other stuff. It would have been a different story if he was still a babyface. But he's not, and they've really ruined any interest in the feud of the whole Shield versus the Heels thing. Who cares, you know? Um, so WWE probably realized that and was like, shit, what do we do to get people to care about the match? Let's bring back McFoley, special guest referee. Huzzah! Like, it, it didn't change my perception of the match, my excitement level for the match, really one iota. Um, I'm glad he's involved, but again, it makes no sense. I love McFoley. The first time he was back on Raw in a year and a half since he was fired from the show in March of 2017. But again, I mean, I thought he had great mic work here. His promo was really good as only Foley, as only Foley could deliver. But just the idea that he's going to be back as a referee when you know he won't be taking many bumps because his body can barely take it, it just, again, feels forced. It really does. It was like the same thing they did it five years ago with um, Shawn Michaels and Daniel Bryan and Randy Orton. They put Shawn Michaels as a special guest referee for no freaking real reason at all. I mean, they had Shawn attack Daniel Bryan, and that was the reason why Bryan lost, but it led nowhere. It was just an out to get Bryan to lose. To have Brian lose without getting pinned straight up clean by Orton. Because they had Brian attack Shawn Michaels the next night on Raw and it went nowhere. It led absolutely nowhere. So this Mick Foley thing I don't think is going to be a uh, means to an end of them being brought back as like the Raw GM or being brought back as a manager or a mouthpiece for someone else. I do not see that being the case at all. I really don't. I just see him being brought in to add interest to the main event of the pay-per-view that people currently don't have any real intrigue or any real intrigue in or any real buzz around this match. So I know why they're doing it. I don't approve. We'll see what it changes. I don't think it changes much. Because, again, Mick Foley really can't take many bumps. Someone said to me the other day, oh, I thought Mick Foley was coming back to, to wrestle again. Like, the guy can barely walk, let alone wrestle. I think those days are over. Um, so, again, we'll see what he adds to the match. But it screams to me like it was WWE's attempt of getting people to care about this match at the last second. Because as it was going in, this match had no buzz around it. Finn Balor, out of that, beat Elias. Elias was still in the ring. Mick Foley said, oh, I have the power to make more matches before I leave. And you're going to be facing this man. And Finn Balor came out, beat Elias in a match that meant absolutely nothing. The match was fine. I could not care less about it. Completely meaningless match that had no value whatsoever. So I was on my phone almost the entire time. Then we got to the main event with Roman Reigns laying out Braun Strowman. So the entire, the, the, the show-long hook for this episode of Raw was how Braun Strowman would be able to exact revenge on Roman Reigns. He called him out all night, went around looking for him all night around the arena, couldn't find him. Called him out in the middle of the ring. He got Roman Reigns. Roman Reigns took the fight to Braun and laid him out to the commentary table near the stage area. Now again, it was a great visual. I thought it was a good angle. But it did nothing to either A, get me to care more about their match on Sunday, or B, get more heat on Braun before the match to make it seem like he's a threat to the championship. I mean, I guess he could win the championship on Sunday. I don't think he will. But Roman just won the title. I don't think they'll take the title off him so soon. So if Roman's winning, even if Braun gets screwed over by Mick Foley or whoever, he still went into this pay-per-view with, you know, not with the upper hand. He was not the last man standing on Monday's Raw. It was Roman Reigns, who's likely going to win on Raw this week, or at Hell in a Cell this weekend. 
So again, some really weird booking on this show. I wouldn't recommend going back to watch anything from Raw with the exception of, again, the Triple H promo, which is weird to say, and the Mick Foley stuff, but the only things worth watching from Raw this week was anything involving a part-timer. Everything else, almost completely missable for the most part, which is sad to say, but it's the cold hard truth. Thankfully, SmackDown, I thought, did a better job of selling me on Hell in the Cell on Sunday than, than Raw did. Um, I thought it was a good show overall. We kicked off the episode with Jeff Hardy taking on old rival, familiar foe, Shinsuke Nakamura, in a non-title match. Like I said, Nakamura has been persona non grata from WWE TV now for, like, weeks. So, it was good to see him back, but it's like, you know, they have any plans for him? It's like, it, it, it's one thing if he's just floundering on the show and they have no plans for him. He's the fucking United States champion. How do you not have plans for this guy? I mean, I guess there's no one real obvious opponent for him, but still. I mean, they can find a way to incorporate Andrade into the title picture or even Ty Dellinger. They can build him up and make him a threat or Rusev or somebody. I don't know. Somebody, please. It's like, to have him just treading water on SmackDown with a title in tow as a champion feels like a massive waste. Thankfully, the match was good. Um, Hardy did win by disqualification in predictable fashion after Randy Orton got involved. Before he could exact revenge on Hardy, it was the other way around. Jeff Hardy got one over on Orton by attacking him with a chair and hitting him with a swanton bomb. Further solidifying my pick that Orton goes over on Sunday. Spoiler alert. I'll talk about that more in a minute. But um, yeah, I do think Orton's going over at the pay-per-view. So that was good. A good way to kick off the show. The promo left a little bit to be desired from Jeff Hardy, but the match that was really enjoyable. Charlotte Flair taking on Sonya Deville in non-title action. A decent match. Deville looked decent. Um, nothing to blow away here. I mean, it, it lasted a little longer than it should have, and I'm glad Sonya got as much offense as she did in on Charlotte. But it was still kind of a rough match. She has a ways to go before she's at that point. And I think you know what I mean until she has like that superstar aura about her. She has a good gimmick and has a good presence about her, but she needs to improve a little bit more before she can hang with the likes of Charlotte and Becky and a few others on that roster, but this was still okay. So afterwards, Charlotte goes to celebrate with the fans. You knew Becky was going to come out of nowhere. It was more a matter of where than if. So Charlotte goes to the crowd and she's taking selfies with fans in the audience when all of a sudden she's taking a picture with two little girls. This woman from out of nowhere attacks Charlotte with black hair and glasses, obviously a your typical disguise, um, your stereotypical disguise with like the, the glasses and the nose and the mask or the hair. Um, she didn't have the nose, but she did have the glasses and the hair down. So she ripped that stuff off, jumped the barricade, proceeded to beat the shit out of Charlotte and lock her and then disarm her. So to build momentum and going into Sunday for the SmackDown Women's Championship, their match, so I thought this was a good angle. Um, nothing too out of the ordinary, but I think they've done a great job of building up Becky as not only a threat to that championship, but as a believable heel. As much as she should be a babyface, let's say that she's a lot better off in that role long term, she's done a good job as a heel the last couple of weeks in SummerSlam. So I don't think she's winning on Sunday, but I think so far the build for this match has been spot on. In the finals of the SmackDown Tag Team Championship number one contenders tournament, we had Rusev Day taken on the bar in a good match. I thought they picked up the pace nicely down the stretch, delivered a, uh, a very fun final few minutes. Rusev Day going over, punching their ticket to the pay-per-view to take on the New Day for the SmackDown Tag Team titles. Rusev Day back on the same page, if only for now. We'll see where it goes, but uh, good stuff here. Andrade Cien Alamos taking on R-Truth uh, for no real reason. I know R-Truth and Carmella are in the... Mixed match challenge. Andrade and Zelina Vega are not. I talked about that about I, I talked about that last week here on the show, but maybe it's because WWE has bigger plans for Andrade. And I know um, Braun Strowman's a part of it, so it's a different story with you know it's a, from a case to case standpoint. Unless Andrade and Zelina Vega are winning the whole thing, they should not be involved. Um, I did read the other day that Andrade is apparently really favored by Vince McMahon. Um, I forgot what website it was from. It might have been from some illegitimate source, but this, these reports have been going around for a while now, dating back to his uh, match against AJ Styles that Vince McMahon was very impressed by what he saw that night um, in Andrade against when he faced AJ Styles. And I guess the same thing happened after he faced Daniel Bryan last week, as he should be. The guy's a great wrestler. 
can't really talk that well, which is why Zelina Vega is that way, or that's why Zelina Vega is there to talk for him. But still, um, I think that they're um, they're they're primed for big things. I think I even read that this is more speculation than anything that they could be hot shot right to the top of the card. Maybe have even Andrade win the Royal Rumble. I severely doubt that. I would love to be wrong. Um, they really have not pushed him to the moon since he arrived on SmackDown. I feel like if they had that plan for him, then they would have pushed him a bit more aggressively on SmackDown before, you know, upon his arrival on the brand. There were a few weeks when he wasn't even on the show, and then he was feeding with Sankara for a few weeks, so, I mean, a slow but steady buildup, I appreciate that, but having him compete in meaningless matches with R-Truth really won't exactly help his cause, but I think he's off to a decent start on the main roster. The guy is a star, and I think Vince sees in him, quite honestly, what he saw in Del Rio, just a pretty, you know, a tall Latino star that he can build around, make money with, the guy can go, and he can also, I don't know, to me, he's, he has a lot more potential at the top of the card than Del Rio ever did. Del Rio, to me, was very one-dimensional. Maybe, I mean, I know Del Rio could talk, almost cannot, but almost has Vega, and they're just a money pairing. They just print freaking money. So, I don't know. Um, I love Almas and Vega together. I think they're a great duo for SmackDown, and I do hope at some point they are pushed more aggressively on the show. And I do want to mention this real quick, too. They put up a video on .com and the YouTube channel of WWE's, um, like a six-minute long sit-down interview with Renee Young and Zelina Vega, because Vega's father was actually killed in the 9-11 attacks 17 years ago. And this story has been well documented. They, I know she talked about it during her time in TNA. Not every detail of the story. I didn't really exactly know the story until she told it told it in this forum on .com and on the YouTube channel. Um, I know she did have a father. She did have a relative that was killed in the attacks 17 years ago. I didn't know to what extent or what the exact story was until she told that story in the sit-down interview with Renee Young. So it's well worth checking out. Amazing stuff. Um, she also had a follow-up interview with Renee Young after SmackDown. That's also on the YouTube channel and on .com. Definitely check it out. Vega's great. Vega is really, really good. She talked about hugging Triple H and Vince McMahon upon arriving at SmackDown on Tuesday. Because um, obviously Tuesday show took place on 9-11 um, this past week on September 11th. So again, um, some pretty great stuff. Definitely check it out if you have the time. Or make time if you don't have the time. Then the main event for this week's show is Brie Bella versus Maurice in one of the most anticipated SmackDown Live main events to date. Obviously, I kid. The match really wasn't much of a match. Um, the match was over in a matter of minutes when Miz dragged out Brie Bella from underneath the bottom rope, resulting in a DQ win for uh, Brie Bella. The two duo, the, the, the two duos brawled back and forth. Um, that left Brie and Brian the last one standing. So good stuff here. The match was complete shit, but the post-match angle I thought was well done. 205 Live, real quick before we get to my Hell in a Cell predictions for Sunday's pay-per-view. Buddy Murphy knocking off Grand Metalli. Great match. Definitely check it out. Buddy Murphy will be vying for the Cruiserweight Championship on October the 6th in Australia's native country um, against Cedric Alexander on Super Showdown. Mustafa Ali knocking off local athlete Michael Thompson to further his feud to the Deo Tommy who came out to confront Ali. In the main event, saw Drew Gulak and Gentleman Jack Gallagher take on Cedric Alexander and Akira Tozawa, with Gallagher and Gulak going over. Gulak will vie for the Cruiserweight Championship on next week's show, and also on next week's 205 Live, we're going to see Leo Rush take on Noam Dar. So, great stuff here. Real quick for Hell in a Cell on Sunday, a show I'm not overly anticipating. I think it can exceed expectations. We really have not had any... I don't think we've had a single great pay-per-view in 2018 from WWE. Like, if you go back far enough, maybe the Rumble. Definitely not Fastlane. Definitely not Elimination Chamber. Maybe WrestleMania, but definitely not Backlash. That show sucked. Um, Definitely not Extreme Rules. That show sucked. SummerSlam, I thought, was good. Wasn't great, but it was good. Hell in the Cell really does not have the best track record of producing amazing pay-per-views, even dating back to its inaugural installment in 2009. Um, I cannot remember a single standout show from the history of Hell in a Cell, which is pretty crazy, um, dating back to its inception in 09, but hopefully this year is the exception. We can only hope. Um, as I record this, no kickoff show has been announced, so I won't talk about that, but we have the New Day versus Rusev Day for the SmackDown Tag Team titles. I think New Day goes over Rusev Day. I know they're on the same page for now. Um, I think the ultimate end game is to have Rusev turn on in English or vice versa. They won't last forever. The whole happy 
Goody Two-Shoes thing is only going to be temporary. I do think New Day walk away still the tag team champions, and they just regain the gold. I think it'd be way too soon to take the championships off them. So uh, New Day still the SmackDown tag team champions. For the Raw tag team titles, Ziggler and McIntyre versus Rollins and Ambrose. Again, same story. Ziggler and McIntyre just became champions. I'd be shocked if they dropped the championships this soon. And also, Rollins is the current IC champion, in case you forgot. There's no reason for him to be a dual champion. It would be cool to have the Shield, every member of the Shield, be a champion, like evolution style. There's no real need for it, though. Um, I'd have Ziggler and McIntyre win, if only to keep the feud alive. And Rollins did just beat Ziggler at SummerSlam. So to have Ziggler get his win back over Rollins, maybe not by pinning Rollins, maybe Ambrose, uh, maybe they teach tension. I think it's way too soon for that in the Shield, but nonetheless, maybe Ziggler pins Ambrose or McIntyre pins Ambrose to retain the titles. Daniel Bryan and Brie Bella versus The Miz and Maurice, a match that really has no stakes or anything on the line. Um, Bryan and The Miz are facing off at Super Showdown in Australia, and the winner of that match will earn themselves a future WWE Championship match. So I think Miz will and should win that match, meaning this match doesn't really matter who wins. Um, so I'll go with Daniel Bryan and Brie Bella. They lost at SummerSlam. Bryan lost at SummerSlam anyway to The Miz. Makes more sense for him to go over here, and they get their uh, measure of revenge before Miz avenges that loss at Super Showdown by beating Bryan again one-on-one. For the SmackDown Women's Championship, Becky Lynch and Charlotte Flair. This should be great, despite how both characters have been miscast. We've talked about it ad nauseum since SummerSlam. Um, the match should be really, really good. Becky's been on fire. No pun intended, Street Fire. She's been on fire as a heel in the last month and a half, um, last month or so. I would love if she won the championship. I just don't think she will. I really don't. I think a lot of these titles are staying right where they are. Because a lot of these feuds are just starting, and a lot of these championships just changed hands. So, I could see Becky winning. I wouldn't be shocked. I would love to, to see Becky win the belt back. She will eventually. It's more a matter of when than if. I don't think it happens here. I think Charlotte um, goes 4-0 at Hell in a Cell by beating Becky Lynch. Ronda Rousey versus Alexa Bliss for the Raw Women's Championship. Ronda Rousey. No question about it. Ronda Rousey's winning. There's not even a question reg- regarding who's going over here. Uh, the first of two Hell in the Cell matches on this show, Jeff Hardy versus Randy Orton. I can honestly see this go... I, I could very honestly... I, I could quite honestly see this going either way. Um, I could see Hardy winning. I could see Orton winning. But Orton getting attacked by Hardy and this week's SmackDown makes me think that Orton's winning. And I already thought that well before the show on Tuesday. Um, I think he's owed a victory. He's off to a strong start as a heel again. There's no real reason for him to lose here. Hardy can absorb a loss. He could do something crazy, get people to talk about him, and still lose by doing something insane. Hopefully not too insane, but crazy enough to be memorable, not crazy enough to get him killed. But I do think Orton goes over here. For the WWE Championship, a match without a stipulation, which is surprising, but Samoa Joe versus AJ Styles. I badly want to say Joe because they really wanted to become champion, but after all the family stuff, I feel like you just can't have AJ lose. I feel like that's WWE's mindset with this program. So I think AJ is going to retain here. And they are having another match in Australia. So Joe could win here before AJ gets the belt back in Australia. Um, You know, I I could see that happening, but my gut says that AJ wins here. And then in the main event, Roman Reigns and Braun Strowman inside Hell in the Cell for the Universal Championship with Mick Foley, a special guest referee. A lot of gimmicks here. I don't know what purpose Foley serves other than just to bring in Attitude Era fans. Happy to see McFoley inside Hell in the Cell. Like, who cares? Um, I think Roman wins here. He just won the championship. They could always have Braun win. It sucks that his money to make cash in will be wasted with him losing here to Roman Reigns. But Braun can always win the belt at some point. My only real criticism is that he's already lost at least four or five other times, dating back to last year's No Mercy, the Royal Rumble, SummerSlam. Uh, He filled the cash in at SummerSlam this year. There's been multiple pay-per-views where he's tried to cash in the, the contract and has fallen short every single time. So I think that's going to be the case here. No pun intended. I do think he will win the championship at some point. It just won't be as soon as Sunday. But Roman Reigns will walk out. Still the Universal Champion at Hell in a Cell. But that does do it for my predictions for the pay-per-view on Sunday. It looks like a solid show on paper, so looking forward to it. Uh, before we sign off, if you want to check out more episodes of WrestleRant Radio, you can do so not only on nextdaywrestling.net, excuse me, but also on iTunes by simply searching up WrestleRant Radio and Apple Podcast. 
rate the show, review the show, subscribe to the show. You not only get new episodes every single Thursday uh, with the uploads instantly downloaded to your streaming device, but also every archived episode dating back almost five years to October of 2013. So download the show today on iTunes uh, by simply searching up WrestleRant Radio. It is now easier than ever to stream the show and listen to WrestleRant Radio. So with that being said, we'll be back next Thursday. All new episode, breaking down, reviewing, giving my ranting thoughts on the Hell in the Cell pay-per-view. Until next time, guys, enjoy your weekend. Enjoy Hell in the Cell this Sunday. I'm Graham Jason Matthews, and I'll catch your ass down the road. Okay.